It's good to see everybody. A week later, you've set your clocks. That's really, <clears throat> it's good to see you back here or here with us worshiping today. If you are um, visiting with us, we're glad to have you here, and we do hope that you will uh, return to be with us as often as you can in the future. You're always welcome. Children are reminded of their activities later today uh, and reminded of the fact that the choir with Miss Jessica is now meeting in the social hall. Um, mission project for the month is collecting items for Miracle Hill Children's Home and the Bible study topic is learning about Lent. Council on Ministries meets today at 4 p.m. in the social hall. Um, are you interested in hearing about the details and helping with the plans for Vacation Bible School? All volunteers are invited to join Katie for a brief meeting at 4 p.m. next Sunday afternoon, March the 27th. Um, softball, it's time for softball sign-ups, men's team and women's team. The sign-up sheet is over in the uh, opening at the, the, the back of the Family Life Center. If you will leave your telephone number, they will be calling you back to, uh, to get to let you know when the practice is going to be held. That's yet to be arranged. I believe Adam is going to come and make an announcement this time. Again, I remind you as the sheets are being passed for the registration of attendance, uh, if you are not receiving the bulletin and newsletter by email, you're welcome to put your email address down so that you might be included. It's, it's working. You have to speak like this really close to it. All right. I just want to remind everyone that the United Methodist Men is having their annual uh, barbecue and yard sale. It's on April 2nd. So clear your calendars. If you had anything going on that day, you now don't. You need to come here and come to our yard sale. It starts at sunup. I know some of you go to yard sales early, early in the morning. You can come to ours first. Uh, the barbecue starts at, um, we'll be selling from 11 to 3 plates are seven dollars a piece we'll have all the usual uh, barbecue fixings um, if you have yard sale items these can be held in Katie Jeter's office you have something really big I don't know like a car or a house you want to give away in the yard sale then um, you can let us know we'll come by and get it um, uh, all proceeds go to the church budget you can buy tickets before and after each service you'll see this pretty face sitting outside in the narthex to buy tickets from after this service. You can also go to our website at greerchurch.com and buy tickets there if you don't want to be seen buying tickets. So um, if you have any other questions, you can let, uh, let me know, let Eric Jeter know. We also have some more information on the website too. Thanks. Adam always puts his best face forward, which is a shame. But uh, anyway, we appreciate all that you do for us around here with the website and other things. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
our affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered in Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. see the This time we'd like to invite the children to come forward to join Marnie Dumas for a few moments of sharing. that um, Mr. Holt, this is what you guys need to call him, <laughs> instead of Arthur is what I call him, but um, definitely he's going to read some verses later and it'll include this one. And this is one of the, I guess, one of the most well-known verses out of the Bible and it comes from John and it's John 3.16. You guys ever heard that one? Maybe? Well, I'll read it. I bet you have. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his own, one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not pa- perish but have eternal life. Have some of you ever heard that? Yeah, I figured you have. So that's a real well-known verse. So let's think about that. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son. So he loved it how much? A lot, right? You think we can measure that? You don't think so? Let's try it. All right. What is this? A measuring cup. Okay, what do you do with a measuring cup? Measure stuff, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. Good answer. Measure stuff, right? So if you were making cookies, you would get out the right flour, the right sugar, that kind of stuff. Okay, or making a cake or something like that. Okay, so that's, you think we could measure it by that? No? All right, let's see what the Bible tells us. It gives us an answer. Um, Psalm 23. See if I can get it to open here. All right. I'm going to read it off of here. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I, sh- shepherd, I shall not want. My cup runneth over. So if our cup runneth over with God's love, we probably can't measure it with this, right? All right, let's try something else. Have you guys ever seen one of these? What do you do with this? You pull it. Pull that. Yeah, so we measure stuff. We can measure how tall we were, right? All right, we could measure, if you were building a building, you might need this, right? You'd have to measure what size the walls were and the things like that. Okay, so this is a measuring tape. So you think we could use this? Let's see what the Bible says. In Psalm 108, see what it tells us, this one, all right? Psalm 108 tells us, uh, let's see, 108.4. All right, it says, for great is your love. 
Higher than the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. So you think we could use this to measure to the sky? No, probably not. So let's not use that either. Okay, what's this? A watch. What do we use a watch for? Yeah, it measures, t like if you started when Reverend Holt did his, started his sermon, you could time him, right? And you could measure how long he talked. You don't, you think anybody else is doing that? <laughs> Let's see when he starts and when he ends, right? So you could do that, right? Or if you were running, you could look and say, oh, I can run this mile, right? And I don't, it'd take me a long time, but if you could run a mile, right? My husband can run it in about six or seven minutes, so that's pretty good, right? So he can run pretty fast. It would take me a lot longer. But so you think we could use time to measure how much he loves us? No, let's see what the Bible says. It gives us an answer too. Psalm 103, 17. Let's see if I can find it. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. So from everlasting to everlasting. Is that on my watch anywhere? No, it's not. So we can't use my watch either. So how do you think we can measure it? What do you think? Do we have to measure it? No, we don't really have to measure it. But we can look and see that he gave us his only son, right? He gave us his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life with him. So that's one way we can measure it, by the love of, this, of his son, right? That's the, about the only way we can measure it. But really, we can't measure it, but you can experience. You can feel his love in your heart. Sound good? All right, so we'll put all our measuring stuff away because we can't do it. You want to pray together? All right, you guys repeat after me. Dear God, we thank you for your love, a love so great that you gave your one and only son so that we could have eternal life. Amen. Thank you. Testament reading today I, I find to be a, a, just a fascinating story from the book of Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 through 9. They, meaning the people of Israel, traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it 
and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 121 on page 844. I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able as we share the passage together responsively. I lift up my eyes to the hills, from whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. The Lord will not let your foot be moved. The Lord will keep the Lord who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, the one who keeps Israel will be a slumber of sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not smite you by day. Nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil and will keep your life. The Lord will keep your body out in your Epistle reading is Romans 4, 1 through 5, and then 13 through 17. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trust God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. And then going over to verse 13. It is not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness it comes by faith. For if those who live by faith, by, if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. 
the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Here ends the lesson.
Our prayer of confession is printed there in your bulletin. Let us join our hearts together in prayer as we begin with this prayer of confession. Almighty and all-loving God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have reconciled the world to yourself. Help us now to be reconciled with one another, that again we might dwell in the warmth of your love. Inspire us with your Holy Spirit to put aside the cloak of pride and put on Christ, that we might forgive and be forgiven through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Lord, we are thankful for stories like we have read today in the Old Testament. We read about your love and patience and forgiving ways with the people of Israel as you were forming them as a covenant community with yourself. We read again and again how they wandered away from you. And we feel a great kinship with them at this point because we tend to drift and wander too. We are not always aware of what's going on when we are drifting, wandering, separating ourselves from you like a child might do at a busy store to separate himself or herself from her mom or dad. And then we come to ourselves and find that we are some distance from you and we are scared and concerned. Like the little child in the store, we cry out in fear. And how wonderful it is, Lord, that you come to us in those moments as parents go to a lost child and you come with healing and forgiveness to present to us. And we are so grateful for this. And we're grateful that your mercy is indeed everlasting and it appears to us to be without any limits. You love us and will always love us, and we're grateful. We're thankful for the example of Abraham, who trusted in God, who believed your promises to him. And that was in your sight, O God, the same as righteousness and right standing. And so we pray, Lord, that we might have that kind of faith, that we might put our confidence in you and our trust in you all the days of our lives because it is in that trusting relationship with you that we hear the good news that we are in right standing with God. And we're thankful that we have our faith in you through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf and that Jesus came to show us your love and to say to us, as we believe in him, we will have eternal life. We are thankful that it's not up to us to earn righteousness, to earn our way into your presence, to earn our way to heaven, because we would all fall so very short how wonderful it is and how we come to celebrate 
that what it took to save us was an act of your love and your grace. And we are here this day because we have been touched by your grace and love. Lord, we think all around the world and we, we remember people in times of need from families that face tragedies here close to home to people suffering under the threat of war within their country, even from their own leaders threatening their lives. We pray your blessings on those that would bring relief and health and healing to those who need it. And we pray for our friends in their times of need, that you would strengthen their bodies and their faith and make them whole. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus, who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
it's always uh, interesting to see what objects are going to become lessons for the children up here as we do our children's sermon. I'm reminded of a story of a preacher who one time was talking with the children and said, had an object lesson and said, children, what do you call that little animal that lives up in the top of a tree and jumps around from branch to branch and likes to eat uh, acorns and nuts? And the children were real quiet and finally one child said, well, preacher, Every question you ask us, the answer is Jesus, but that sure sounds like a squirrel to me this time. <laughs> I just find it fascinating that the same Lord who spoke about seeds and farmers and bushes and things like this would choose as an object lesson one day an obscure passage in the Old Testament as he's talking to Nicodemus. I'm not going to read the entire scripture lesson, just verses 14 through 17, so you will hear Jesus using this object lesson. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Here ends the lesson. Often in my time here at Memorial, when I've needed advice and help on how to do things, I've turned to my friend, Bill Davis. Uh, he's one of the, my go-to guys around here for advice of how to fix things. Not too long ago, I dropped by Bill and Beverly's new house over in St. James Place and was talking with Bill about some um, gardening, landscaping kind of things, and he took me into his backyard to show me what he had been doing. Then we went through a gate in his backyard to look down this steep hillside that leads down to the Ennery River. And it's pretty overgrown, and Bill said, you know, I hope that soon the developers of this neighborhood will get down here and just cut all the, those weeds down with a bush hog because, he said, that area is just full of copperhead snakes. Well, I don't know what Bill said after that because I wasn't there anymore. <clears throat> I was back through the backyard, back through his house, in my car, leaving. I don't care for copperheads. Um, I've already been turned down by one of those snake handling churches as their pastor, so I have... <laughs> You know, very little future there. But the day, today's scripture lessons talk about snakes and make several references to snakes. Moses put a bronze emblem of a snake on a tall pole and lifted it up. Jesus said that he had to be lifted up like a snake on a pole in order for us to have eternal life. And it's that emblem of a snake on a pole that physicians have chosen as the symbol of their profession. These facts just beg for some explanation, I think. The place to begin is with the people of Israel as they wandered in the desert. All that time they spent wandering in the desert was a necessary period of time for God to pull those people together and to build strong ties of family that would hold them together 
And you know what? It worked. It's lasted for 3,000 years now. They still maintain a strong identity because of what God did for them in that de desert time. During those times, God gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them an entire religious system complete with a priesthood, and he gave them a judicial system. Moses was quite the skilled architect to have put all this together in one generation with the help of God. But often those people got restless. They got tired of wandering around without a home. Food and water were daily challenges to them, but God was faithful to them by continuing to give them manna from heaven. But it wasn't a buffet, and folks got tired of the manna. Why have you brought us out here to die, they grumbled, and we hate this food. Mothers, don't they just sound like your children at home? Well, apparently the good Lord doesn't care very much for grumbling and complaining. My parents didn't particularly care for it either. I think my dad's word was, I think I'm going to give you something to grumble about, Arthur. That was what he did. But just as there were adverse consequences for me when I whined and complained, there were some adverse consequences for the Israelites for speaking out against Moses and God. The people who would later conquer armies in the Promised Land couldn't seem to handle the invasion of poisonous snakes biting their legs and feet. Those who were bitten came down with a progressive illness that got worse by the day and by the hour until finally they began dying. The people realized that their lack of trust in God had opened a door for trouble to come upon them. And so they confessed their sin to Moses. We sinned when we spoke against you and the Lord. Pray for us. Ask God to take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for his people. Now God's answer to Moses was really strange. God didn't just heal the people and he didn't take away the snakes. Instead, God gave Moses some strange-sounding instructions. Moses, I want you to make a bronze snake. Really? Wait a minute, Lord. Brother Andrew got into trouble making a golden calf. God said, it's all right, Moses. I'm not going to tell the people to worship the bronze snake. It's just a sign to help them believe. It's going to be a sign that helps them believe in me, bringing them gracious healing, a reminder that God is with them. Put that bronze snake emblem up on a tall pole and lift it up high, God said. Those who are bitten and who will look at the bronze snake with faith in their heart will not die. So that's what Moses did. And that is what happened. God once again rescued his people as he always does from their sinful ways. Now, to me, that's just a fascinating short story for Jesus to, ch to choose to use to, to explain what God was going to be doing for them through his work and his death. Jesus compared to his being on a cross 
to the snake being up on that pole. That got me thinking this week about the parallels between Moses' snake on a pole and Jesus on a cross. The first similarity is the cause of both of these signs, namely our sin. The people of Israel sinned, and their sin wasn't what you and I usually think of as a major sin. There wasn't any stealing involved or murder or adultery. It was just grumbling, a lack of faith, a lack of trust. Perhaps this should remind us that there are an awful lot of things we can do that are outside of the will of God. And every one of them is a sin. Even when we fail to do some good that we ought to do, that is a sin of omission. You know the term sin actually comes from the sporting world of archery. And it means missing the bullseye. And for most of us who take aim to follow God through life, we miss the bullseye. We don't quite do it perfectly. Isaiah said it very well. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Paul said that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short. We've all wandered off the straight and narrow sometime. And it is the impossibility of perfection that continues to create so many problems for us in life. My father used to, as he would say, whip himself because his foresight was never as clear as his hindsight. And that's the way it is for us as humans. Even the wisest one among us fails to plan perfectly and adequately for the future. It has been an interesting thing to me to watch the news coming out of Japan at those nuclear plants, there were two or three backups to protect them against failure. If one failed, something else kicked in. But they all failed. And such is our station in life as human beings. We don't have all wisdom. Our best plans fall short. One of my favorite proverbs is this one. No amounts of advanced planning can beat dumb luck. That does seem to be the truth. Something as seemingly innocuous as complaining brought snakes into the camp of the Israelites. Our imperfections, our missing of the mark, our sin, often results in grief for us. Poison from snake bites creates a progressive illness. Sin is also a progressive illness. It continues to get worse and worse if we don't stay busy keeping the weeds pulled out of our lives. We are sinners, but we have joined a treatment program known as Christian discipleship. Sometimes the weeds overtake us and we fall. And when we do, it is a wonderful thing to be a part of Christian discipleship where you have a brother or a sister who will come to you and help you weed your garden and get you back into your treatment program. You see, left untreated, sin is a progressive ailment. It just gets worse and worse and bigger and bigger. Alcoholism is an example of a very bad progressive illness. P. 
people drink more and more as time passes because their bodies get used to smaller doses and demand bigger doses. But here's the interesting thing. Studies have shown that alcoholism continues to grow inside of a person even if that person completely avoids alcohol for a decade or more. If after a decade of abstinence they return to alcohol, they don't pick up where they left off 10 years before. They start back at the level they would have been at if they had continued during those 10 years. It's a progressive illness. The disease continues to grow within the person, even if the person avoids the alcohol. Sin is like that. It keeps growing within us, even if we are very diligent in keeping it from spreading. I wish that I could tell you that as I have gotten older, it has gotten easier for me to with, uh, resist temptation, but I can't tell you that. There are some sins of my youth that, that take more energy than I got now to do, but there are other temptations now that have come my way as I've gotten older. I asked a friend of mine the other day, a minister who is retiring soon, a Methodist preacher, I said, what has brought you to this point of retiring at this point in your life? He said, Arthur, do you realize how much emotions that you and I have to keep under our lid at all times? We have to bite our tongues at all times to keep from saying what we really feel? He says, I can't do it anymore. He says, if I retire in June without cussing somebody out, it'll be a miracle. New temptations come our way as we get older. Sin keeps growing. Perhaps that's why Paul called himself the least of the apostles when he was a young man, but when he got to be an old man, he called himself chief of sinners. Sin grows within us, and as it does, the number of snakes that pursue us grows. God help us, and God does. The second similarity between the Old Testament story about the snake on the pole and the New Testament story about Jesus is that God always comes to the aid of his people. God has a real soft spot in his heart for you. He is ever ready to forgive and heal. What did the people of Israel need to do to be healed of their snake bites? Nothing except to look up to God's grace. To look beyond the snake on the pole to the God who said, if you look up here at me, I will save you. They didn't have to do anything else. They didn't have to even promise to change their ways. They just had to look up at God. They had to look at the sign of God's forgiveness and that they would be saved. Here in this place of worship, we are surrounded by symbols of God's grace there's a cross on the Lord's table, or the altar as we sometimes call it. That's a symbol of God's grace. Baptism is a, a symbol also for us. Stained glass windows all around us remind us of God's love for us. All people who lift their eyes and their faith beyond these symbols to see the God to whom they point. To see Jesus on the cross lifted up for us. We are forgiven and given eternal life. It isn't a matter of us having to do anything else. It's a matter of us putting our trust in God's goodness and grace. 
whether that goodness is expressed by the snake on a pole or by the Son of God on a cross. In both cases, God took symbols of death, a cross and a snake, and turned them into symbols of forgiveness, grace, and life. He took the results of sin, turned them inside out, and used them as instruments of salvation for us. The third similarity between the snake on the pole and the sun on the cross is that neither one of them makes a great deal of logical sense, if you think about it. How can a snake bring healing to those who are dying from a snake bite? How can a man dying on a cross bring forgiveness and life to people who are dying from the power of sin? Moses, I'm dying from a snake bite. What good will come from looking at a bronze snake on a pole? God, I am lost, separated from you by an ocean of sin. How does it help me to see your son on a cross? Does the cross make all that much sense to you? I want to say to you, it really doesn't have to. In speaking of the cross, the Apostle Paul called it the foolishness of God several times. The foolishness of God. It is as if God said, it might appear to be foolishness to you, but just trust me. Trust in my goodness. Believe me when I tell you that all you need for salvation is to put your trust in me. Believe me when I say that the cross is a sign pointing you to the salvation that comes as a gift from Almighty God. God so badly wanted the Israelites to be healed and restored that he undertook an act of desperation and apparent foolishness by having a snake on a pole raised up high God so badly wanted to see all people, the world, not to perish, but to have eternal life, that he undertook another act of desperation and apparent foolishness by having his son lifted up on a cross. And you know what? It really has worked. There have been a lot of people who have stopped to look at the form of the Son of God dying upon a cross, who would have never gone to a palace to see a king who was the Son of God. Jesus got their attention. Barbara Brown Taylor, an Episcopal priest, theologian, author, and professor, says that poor Nicodemus probably had a very difficult time understanding that it wasn't knowledge that would bring him salvation. Rather, Jesus being lifted up on a cross would be the instrument of salvation for his people. She writes, Imagine studying all of your life to be among the elite and powerful, only to be told that all of your theories are based upon a completely false premise. Believe in me. That was Jesus' dare to Nicodemus. Turn your cup upside down. Turn your mind inside out. Step out into the air, ride the wind, be born anew, and live. As Moses lifted up the snake on a pole in the desert, so God will lift up the Son of Man on the cross. When Christ is lifted up from the earth, he will draw all people to himself. 
lift high the cross, the love of Christ proclaim, till all the world adore his sacred name. Amen. Thank you.